This podcast is sponsored by Xgrowth. Xgrowth is the APAC ABM agency. If you and your organization are looking to land and expand enterprise mid-market deals, Xgrowth is the agency to help. Xgrowth works with a wide range of international and global technology vendors, service providers, and B2B SaaS companies. If this sounds like some of your interests to know more about, make sure to check out Xgrowth at xgrowth.com.au. That's xgrowth.com.au and chat with the APAC ABM agency. What's up, marketers, and welcome to another episode of the Growth Colony Podcast. I'm Liza from Xgrowth to tell you that each episode we bring in B2B leaders to chat about how you can achieve those everyday wins in the marketing world. Whether you're new to the B2B game, working at a leadership level, or even just showing some interest, we know you'll love the episode. So grab a drink, get comfy, and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode. I'm Shaheen Hoda with X-Growth. And today I'm talking to Ed Loker, author of the book, Holistic Marketing, Digital Transformation Through People, Processes and Technology, about how to increase your leverage as a B2B marketer to build more pipeline. We'll touch on how B2B marketing function is changing, where does accountability comes in, and the KPIs you should be looking at. On that note, let's dive in. Ed, Thanks a lot for joining. Thank you very much for having me. This is looking forward to it. Absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure. I'm really looking forward to to this chat. Uh, I think you you bring huge amount of insight to uh, to, to this game, uh, especially you've been in the not not only a marketer um, but also in the in the uh, martech space. So uh, so very much looking forward to uh, to this chat. We previously spoke, and one of the things that that stood out for me that you kind of touched on was the fact that the role of marketing is changing. And I'd love for you to kind of start, if we could start the conversation there and unpack that a little bit in terms of like, what do you, what, how is that changing in your opinion? And what do you, what do you mean by that? Yeah. So I've, I've, I've spent a lot of time thinking about this over the last, I don't know, year or two. And, and I really do feel like we are at a major inflection point that, is not, I mean, marketing obviously is a key component of that, but I think it might be encompassing the entire go-to-market function for organizations. So I'll backtrack a little bit. So 15 years ago, a marketer was very busy, obviously doing lots of tactics, brand, you know, likes, impressions, all those things. And, and we had a set of KPIs that we felt were important, but in many ways, they were vanity in nature, even though we may not have known that at the time. We all remember, well, some of us who are old enough like me, would remember the tech bubble where eyeballs counted as currency, right? You, you, you had enough visitors to your website and that meant you were doing great things as a marketer and contributing to organizational value. And those things, quite honestly, could have nothing absolutely to do with each other. And so, you know, 15 years ago, marketing was built on a foundation of trust me, this is going to be big. And companies that grew with very busy marketing organizations may or may not have been growing because of the marketing at all. But there was just no way to tie those things together. And then we entered into a phase with where we're sort of most companies are still right here, which is how does as marketers, you know, we have technology, we have processes, we have metrics that we can use that go beyond what I would consider to be vanity metrics. We can show 
marketing source revenue. We can show that this channel is delivering this many leads, which converts to this many meetings, which converts to this much opportunity and close wins and all, and all those things. And I think that there's a standard distribution of companies out there who are doing this. Those at the very tail end on you know the far right who are doing it really well have really perfected this. And they have real-time dashboards. They're doing test and invest strategies. And, and they really have their finger on the pulse of the activities that they're doing and what that's yielding. Then you have the, the middle two standard distributions across that. And that's everybody else. And some people are doing it. And, and some of them are doing it well and some of them not so well. But then they got pieces of it right. And you know people are still working on this model. And then you've got the tail end. And those, those companies are literally dying. Because if you haven't adopted at least this technology perspective and this this KPIs and data driven mentality, you know, finger in the wind, using your gut, that's over time, those companies will be, you know, Dar- Darwin right out of the market. But where I think we are now, which I think is really super interesting, and, I, and if you if you follow certain individuals, or there's enough chatter around there that suggests that particularly in the B2B SaaS space, there's there's a growing sentiment that that model actually isn't very good. And it's because it's built on some legacy assumptions that you scale revenue by adding account execs with quota. And the go-to-market motion is built around how do you get, how do you increase the participation rate of your individual account execs to hit quota in order to scale the revenue? And I think in, in, in theory, on paper, that, that looks awesome. It's, it's easy. It's easy math. It's simple algebra. We need to find $10 million of new revenue next year, and we have a million-dollar quota. Let's go hire 10 reps. And a lot of companies do that. And a large percentage of those companies that do that don't actually make the commensurate investment in the ancillary components of the business to be able to support that. So the sales enablement, the marketing, the BDRs, the SDRs, they just add these AEs with the expectation that the revenue is going to come. And that, I think, getting that right is extraordinarily difficult. And there's no guarantee that 10, exec, 10 account execs is going to deliver $10 million in revenue because you've got ramp speed and churn and turnover and all of these things. And so marketing for a long time has been, I don't want to say subservient, but certainly not even second-class citizens, but certainly there to serve the, the machine, right? To feed that animal of the account execs. Very tactical, very reactive in most cases where, okay, we have these new AEs and therefore we need some leads because we don't want the AEs to have to, to hunt for everything that they kill ultimately. You know, we, marketing, you need to go in there. But it, they came at it from the perspective that marketing was there to serve, to feed the beast of account execs. And where I think this inflection point is coming is the realization that that model itself with the BDRs and the account execs and adding revenue by adding quota is flawed because of all of those different components that I just talked about, at least on the surface, the inefficiencies, not every rep is going to hit quota, how many and when, the churn, the turnover, and all those things. Relying on account execs to carry the majority of your new pipeline creation in your closed one, I think is fundamentally flawed. And marketing needs to take ownership of that, not as a servant to the beast to feed the machine, but to stand stand up and say, okay, I am accountable. The marketing organization is accountable for creating 80, 90% of pipeline opportunities. I understand how much it costs to create that. I understand the channel mix. I understand the conversion rates. I understand how the marketing engine 
can get there. And 99 times out of 100, generating that level of volume is much, much cheaper than it is to invest in account execs and SDRs doing cold calling outbound because of how the customer journey has changed. Customers have control over when and how they engage with vendors. They have access to information. They have trusted networks that they believe in much more than a salesperson who's going to try to sell them anything, let alone an SDR who's cold calling them out of the blue. So if marketing takes ownership of that 90% of the pipeline and frees up the account execs from having to do all of that work on the top, what that frees them up to do is to create a more efficient opportunity to close engine. And if your close rate, so from your opportunity to close one is 10% better than your competitors, you're winning. doesn't matter what business you're in. If you are 10% better than industry average, you're taking share. And so if you can focus those high dollar, high expert, very expensive resources to your account execs and comp them and incent them to close more deals than the competition, more deals than the industry average, and they can spend their time doing that, you can build a much more efficient pipeline generation engine on the marketing side. But I think that scares a lot of marketers because at the end of the quarter, still, sales is binary. You pa- there's a pass-fail grade every 90 days with sales. Did you hit your number or did you not? Right? And there's no shadow to hide in. There's no, there's no gray area there. And marketers don't like that. <laughs> marketers, you know, I used, to, I used to make a joke of it, but there was a lot of truth in the beginning of my career that I very deliberately chose marketing because I didn't want to be on the hook every 90 days for that, that binary decision. But I think that I think marketing needs to do that. I think that's the next evolution from a marketing perspective is to quote unquote own pipeline creation, full stop. And it's not a portion of it. It's not 30% of it. It's not necessarily in partnership with sales. It is, we own this much pipeline based on this close rate in order to achieve our revenue targets. And if you do that, you, again, you can do it more efficiently from a marketing perspective. You can change the comp structure on your AEs to get them focused on closing more deals. You need fewer sellers, and which simplifies a lot of things up and down the process from enablement, from deal desk to all the rev ops and sales ops work that goes into building and creating and running a sales organization, all of that would fundamentally change if marketing is, is, is honestly the first person in the board meeting every quarter that has to talk about growth, right? I don't know a single company. I've never worked at a place where anybody asked the marketer about the pipeline, right? So this is a fundamental shift. And I don't know that chief revenue officers... I think they'd love to, to offload some of the responsibility and some of that binariness of, of success or failure from their perspective. But it requires an incredible amount of trust to say, okay, I'm going to put all of my faith in the marketing people to create enough leads for my sellers to close in order to hit that revenue. So it's a very, it's a very major shift, both in perspective, in accountability, and from the ordinary way that we've been doing business. I, you know, I follow a couple of people that I think that are on the front end of this and the way that they lay it out, it's very clear that that old model is not predictable. You can invest a lot of money. It's and the analogy that I heard the other day, which I really liked was they're just pushing a rope and you've got all of these sellers that have to account for this revenue and they're not good at creating demand. By definition, nobody likes to be sold to. People like to solve problems. People want partners to help them solve a problem. And they don't get that from a 30-minute 
a 15 minute call from a BDR and they don't get it from a 30 minute call from an account exec. They get it from periodic regular cadence of communication with the brand through the channels that they trust on the cadence that they want, where they want it. And that's a marketing conversation. And I think people are still of this of the mind that marketing is there to feed sales, where I, I think in a couple of years from now, it's going to be reversed. And, and, and are you, are you saying that, you know, that, that uh, 80 to 90% pipeline um, creation that also leads to marketing being responsible for closing those leads as well and turning those into revenue? Or do you think that function still is going to sit with, with sales? I think the sellers still have to sell, right? And, and so creating, so if marketing, and I'm going to do this to make the math simple. If marketing creates $100 million in pipeline and the industry average of a close rate from opportunity to win is 25%. The sellers still need to close $25 million worth of revenue, right? And that, that's the expertise that, that you need and, and that you're willing to pay for. But you need fewer of them if they're not also trying to go out and find $50 million of that $100 million pipeline. And if you can give $100 million of opportunity to 20 sellers instead of having 40 sellers trying to create 50 million and close on the hundred, the efficiencies start to make a lot more sense. And again, it's, it's marketing can do that more by nature. We're farmers, right? That's our bag, multiple conversations, multiple touch points, multi-channel type stuff. And it's not about the one-on-one 15 years ago, when people were trying to figure out how technology could make their lives better, they needed to talk to a salesperson who really understood their pain and could walk them through the solution. Okay. Help them define what the pain was, what the solution could be, help them understand the differences between my brand and all the other competitors out there. Help me understand how I'm going to integrate it, what my return is going to be. And those conversations are still important, but they should happen after the opportunity has been created because that's where all the leverage is in a pipeline. If I have a super high dollar resource that needs that I need to allocate to, I want to I want to allocate it where it can have the biggest difference, which is at the bottom of the pipeline, which is opportunity to close one. Again, it's it's really simple math. If you do if you do a twenty percent improvement on MQL creation conversion and a twenty percent improvement on close on opportunity to close one, I think your return is like five x on increasing the the conversion rate on the on the opportunity to close one than you are up up funnel. So yeah, change change the comp plans. You get rewarded on living above industry average or our competitive benchmarks. That's how you make quota or that's, you you know, your quota is the revenue target that you have to carry, but you get to go to club if you are five points higher than industry average, right? As opposed to participation on your quota, because with fewer sellers and that this revenue target being the same, everybody should be hitting quota, particularly if they don't have to go out and, and find their own opportunities. And and do you think this is going to be any different between different segments of the market, meaning, um, you know, pipeline created from SMB mid-market um, versus, you know, enterprise uh, government? Do you think this is going like this ratio or this approach is going to be different? Uh, or do you think that's going to be across the board and marketing kind of should start owning that to uh, to, you know, all verticals and, and segments of the market? It's a great question. And I think 
The, the answer is it's across all segments, but to different degrees. SMB, I would argue that it should be even more pronounced, this evolution, because for an SMB, you're not, your ACV is probably not $100,000, right? If, you, if you're buying a $5,000 product and you only need a senior manager level to make the approval decision on that purchase, that's got to be automatic, right? And so marketing needs to be driving the, the vast lion's share of that. Somewhere in the middle on mass or mid-market, low end of the enterprise, you know, it's probably still marketing, very much marketing driven, maybe a little bit of AE action still there. Enterprise, again, it's my thesis that this will eventually get to marketing driven completely. Government is the wild card because particularly if you're talking about defense or high security environments where they're quite literally not allowed to be on the computer at work, or if they are on a computer, it's not connected to the external internet. And so that is very much relationship driven. Working with a brand over many years, decades even, I had the good fortune to work at a company called Digital Globe Commercial Satellite Imagery, where we sold into the classified area, NSA, CIA, you know, all the three-letter agency, nation states, things like that. And everybody who sold in that space, their sellers had been in that space their whole career. And they knew everybody and everybody knew them. And only through that relationship were you able to see a high degree of success. So in the government space, particularly in a secure environment, I don't, I don't see this model really taking hold. But outside of that, I would expect marketing should be, should be flexing a little bit and saying, look, we got this. Like, this is what we're good at. We'll take care of this. Because again, the tools and the technology are there that you can create transparent, accountable, predictable models, right? It's not guess. It's not guesswork anymore. It's I invest $100,000 into the engine. I get $1.2 million 5.7 months later. And it's proof. It's all in Salesforce. This is where all the leads came in. This is where they all converted into opportunities. And this is the closed one. So I'd like to think that that would be enough. What do you think this is going to mean from a tactics perspective. How is that going to change? You know, the, the argument of, hey, there is, there is the brand component. You can't really measure that, but it is very effective. And then there is the activation piece where it's, it's a lot more kind of revenue marketing, bringing that pipeline. How do you think, you know, the, the, the marketing playbook and the tactics that marketers kind of use is, 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 is going to be changed by, uh, by, by a shift like this. Here's where I think it may not like the, that model that I taught, I just got finished talking about is a tectonic shift, right? That, that is a fundamental change in, in the perspective on the tactical side. I actually think it'd be much less drastic. What I would suggest from a tactics perspective is that you need to understand the difference between creating demand and capturing demand from a marketing perspective and the tactics that are used to do those two different types of marketing, I'll call them, can be the same, but some of them lend themselves a little better <clears throat> to one pillar than the other. So for example, the difference in my mind from creating and capturing demand, creating demand is why now? Like you're framing a problem. Why do you have to do something? Why is the status quo no longer affordable? It is about helping frame the challenge or the situation or the problem statement. It's about educating people on, you know, this is, the, this is what it costs 
to continue down the path that you're on right now. And I'll I'll use a a simple example. If you're going to do territory planning and the cost of a bad territory plan for a large enterprise can often be measured in millions of dollars. Because if your reps feel that it's unfair, that they don't have a chance to make quota because they have a bad territory, they're going to leave. If you have um, any number of conditions, I won't go through them all, but any number of conditions on a bad territory plan causes a significant amount of churn in your account executive base. When your account exec leaves, good or bad, you got to go out, find somebody, and then you got six to nine months to ramp them, right? So that's almost a year of less than 100% productivity for each individual rep that you leave. And if you have a selling force of 100, 150, 200, and if you're losing, the difference between losing 15% of your sellers every year and losing 5% is, again, measured in the millions of the dollars. And so if you are, as a, as a marketer on creating demand, talking to VP of sales ops, talking to CROs out there around, this is the sort of the hidden cost of having bad territory plan, right? You may not really understand because it's not a direct cost, but here's all those things that are associated with having a bad territory plan and what it's doing to your sales force. Then capturing demand is once they say, holy smokes, I had no idea we were losing $25 million a year because our territory plan was bad. You know, Ed, as the VP of sales ops, you need to go out and find out how we can get better territory plans. And then I'm out there looking for better. And that's capturing demand, right? The, the problem statement has been framed. Somebody is understand they're in the market. They're starting to compare vendors and things like that. So the tactics associated with that are slightly different than the ones that are part of the create demand. Create demand is, blo- is blogs. It's thought leadership. It's potentially eBooks. It's, you know, the level of content is higher. It's more vendor agnostic webinars, those kind of things where you're talking about the problem of bad territory management needs to happen at scale, right? You are spraying that from the hills to the coast, trying to get people to wrap their heads around what that problem is. Then the capturing demand is much more focused and target, right? And so the tactics associated that lend themselves to account-based marketing type things where you're building customized plans or programs based upon specific accounts or types of accounts, one to one, one to few product webinars, Competitive landscape, ROI calculators, ebooks with you know a matrix of feature functions versus ROI or time to value, things like that. Some very specific tactics that highlight why your brand is better than someone else. And so the tactics themselves, I don't think, are are really going to change. There will be, I think, less of a reliance on things like just Google search, just generic search. I think as more people develop more integrated, more powerful professional networks. And I don't just mean their their friends or whatever, but user groups or communities on G2 or, or other things like that, where if you are in the create demand phase and you're, oh, I had no idea bad territories would cost this much. I'm going to go look and see if there's communities out there that have talked better talking about territory planning, right? And maybe what they did and the efficiencies that they were able to, to, to create by doing it better. And so... I think the importance, it's still going to be important for people to be there, but I don't know that you're going to see as much people just Googling, okay, territory planning, and then starting a meaningful customer engagement journey as a result of that without first stopping within their professional networks. And so if marketers can get included as part of that, again, not selling in that space because people's BS meter is highly tuned, right? And then they're going to be if, if you're in these communities or these user groups with the hard sell, they're going to be like, I don't want any part of that. You need to get out. Like, that's not what this channel is for. 
but there is an opportunity for you to create brand ambassadors or customers. And, you know, everybody, well, not everybody, but money companies have customer advisory boards. So asking your best customers who sit on your customer advisory board to be a voice in some of those communities, talking about territory planning. And if it comes to it and somebody asks them for a referral, then yeah, we'd love it if you'd mention us. That I think is going to become more prominent than less. And then of course, AI and, and machine learning. I, I'm, I'm, I don't consider myself to be a Luddite when it comes to that thing, but I'm certainly not on the cutting edge of the application of AI in the marketing space. But I know enough to know that you know, you can really increase the scale and the volume of content and your ability to connect with people by leveraging some of those tools. Just the other day, I, I literally put into one of the prompts, you know, what's a good analogy for how all the various components of marketing work together? So industry, customer, product, all the whole thing. And, it, you know, you got the little regenerate button. And I had six or seven really interesting analogies in like three minutes. It was pretty incredible. And, and it's really good with analogies. Yeah. Yeah. I, I and, definitely experienced that. And so you, you, you put, and whether or not you use, you know, exactly what it turned out, hopefully you don't actually. But the number of ideas that it, it threw out really helped crystallize in my own mind what I, would, what I was trying to do. And so those tools, I think, are going to become obviously increasingly important. And so having the skill set to be able to manage within that environment is going to be important. But tactics wise, I think. Largely, it's going to be what we have today. Ed, what about what about KPIs? So we've touched on this a little bit um, in our um, in our conversation, but how do you think we've talked about pipeline? We've talked about kind of the the MQL SQL conversion, but how do you think KPIs should should they be different? Are, are KPIs are going to also be uh, relatively the same? In your opinion, what are some of the changes that might have to happen there? Yeah. So the, from a KPI perspective, I think there needs to be a significant shift if the model is, if the hypothesis is true and, and we're at this inflection point. Marketers, you know, MQLs will be a vanity metric. Marketing sourced should become a vanity metric. Marketing influenced already is. Like if, I, I mean, I challenge anybody in marketing to go to a sales organization and say, I influence this much revenue. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, I would love to see what the reaction from sales is going to be because I've experienced that my whole career and it's usually not warm. <laughs> it's like, oh, you're influenced, you know, whatever. And so marketers who are continuing to hang their hat on marketing influenced, I think are going to be at a disadvantage with one caveat. It's not a lie, right? To say marketing influenced revenue. I would suggest that marketing influences 100% of the revenue because I think the number of people who buy something without going to a website is zero at this point. Like if you're going to buy something from a vendor in the B2B space and you never visit the website, I mean, that's, that's like Impossible. professional yeah. malfeasance, right? I mean, you, you should probably be fired. So we influence everything. We contribute something to most of it. And if this model comes to be, we will be accountable for all of it. Right. And so the metrics or the KPIs associated with the marketing at that point are pipeline created, ARR, gross and net retention. And to some degree, depending on how large your marketing organization is, and if you've got customer marketing as a thing, renewal expansion rates, insurance. Right. So these are corporate metrics. This is what drives valuations. This is what the board wants to hear from the CEO. Marketing needs to, to at the very, at a very minimum, 
be side by side with the selling team in ownership of those metrics. My contention in five years, we're the first one they ask. All right, marketing, what is the, what's the ARR for the quarter, right? What is the pipeline generated? What is next quarter look like? What's our gross and net retention rates? That I think, you know, marketers should be talking at the corporate level KPIs. So that's at the highest dimension. At the very bottom, it's still visits, time on site, engagement, clicks, opens, all of those things that you need to be measuring in order to optimize the efficiency of the marketing engine. So that's, you know, your managers, your senior managers, your directors who are rolling up all their campaign activities and understanding, hey, this ad with the blue button is outperforming this ad with a red button two to one, we should use the blue button, right? We can get 10 more MQLs a week if we put the request a demo button in the header image as opposed to at the bottom of the page. That continual optimization and measurement of those tactics, I think, still needs to happen in order to optimize the engine. And then somewhere in the middle will probably be what marketers have long hung their hat on, which is MQLs, marketing sourced, and things like that. So if there's a if there's a change, it's not that any KPI has been invented. It's that we need to be accountable as marketers for a different altitude of KPI. And we need to own corporate numbers now, instead of just being an input into the seller's dashboard, who is delivering the news at the corporate level. Accountability is the name of the game. I, I don't see how we die. I don't see how we sidestep it anymore. And and in my mind, I'm trying to think like, would it have been better to be in marketing in the fifties or now? Like, like in the 1950s where trust me, this is going to be big. And, and you didn't have to be accountable to anything because there was no way to do that. You know, you had your Nielsen overnights and that, that was about it. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think just my own personal, how I much, how I like data and how I like to get into it. I, I'm much happier now. But I think life was probably easier for marketers back then. You have started to roll out your ABM strategy, but you're starting to hit some roadblocks. You're finding everything extremely time-consuming and complicated. The technology landscape is baffling. Deployment support in your organization is non-existent. And to top things off, the sales team has no interest in participating. You know ABM can work for your business, but you're in desperate need of a push in the right direction. Chat to the APAC ABM experts at Xgrowth for a free consultation to help get you on the right track. For more information, check out xgrowth.com.au. That's xgrowth.com.au. And get back on track today. Ed, let's do some rapid fire questions. These, this has been great conversation, but I also want to ask you a couple of rapid fire questions before we wrap up. Hit me. First question. What is one resource? This could be a podcast, a blog, a talk, a book that has had a profound impact on the way you work or you live. What comes to mind? Start with why. Simon Sinek. That book changed me. The change in perspective associated with that opened up so many doors from a marketing perspective. And it's not, it's not a marketing book. It's a leadership book more than anything else or a, a corporate book. But truly understanding the why of your company is a differentiator. And it's, it's remarkable to me how many companies out there don't know what it is. Like they, they know what their what is because that's what they sell. And they kind of know what their how is because some of their customers do it this way, but most of their customers do it this way. So that's how we, we get them to value. 
But then you ask them, why do you do what they do? And they're, you know, they're like, uh, uh. <laughs> got to pay my bills. Got to yeah. pay my bills. Yeah. Um, it, I mean, yeah. many of them just resort to that. It's, yeah, it's to make money. I'm like, yeah, that's not it. Yeah, no, that's that's a, that's a great advice. That's a great, uh, great recommendation. If you were going to give one piece of advice to B2B marketers, what would it be? Be curious. Try to understand why things are happening the way that they are. And that is across the entire marketing spectrum. It plays very well in the demand gen, metrics-driven, data-driven space. Why did that ad work? Why is this webpage not converting? Why are we not generating pipeline? But the a genuine curiosity to understand is the most valuable tool, I think, of any, any marketer, probably of any worker at all. But that, you know, when I'm hiring people, that's my number, that's my number one thing. Do they, do they care about why things are the way they are? Okay. Love it. Love it. Question three, who are some of the influencers that you follow in the sales and marketing space? Uh, Simon Sinek is one, obviously. He's, and he's actually been producing a lot more content in the last six months. I don't know if it's because something changed with the LinkedIn algorithm or I'm just seeing him more or whatever, but he's, he's all over now, which is great. I like this woman named Carolou Dietrich. I think she's one of those, I'm going to call them visionaries because I like to, to make myself feel good about myself, who's starting to think about, you know, what is marketing starting to look like? What are the changes that are coming? Very insightful about the current state, but I think also leaning into the future a little bit. There's a guy called Sam Jacobs that I really like. He is also of the opinion that the old school model is maybe not what we thought it was. He goes a little bit further than I do across several dimensions, which I appreciate and like. Yeah, I think he's a CEO. And so he's thinking from a, a little bit broader perspective than I bring to it as a marketer. But he's he's a deep thinker for sure. And I think he's really on to something about how B2B in particular may not be what we think it is. And there's there's probably change coming. Last thing, what is something that excites you about B2B today? Just the pace, innovation. There's always something new to learn. There's always something new to try. And I think, I think again, going back to my original statement here, I think we're living in a, in a pretty interesting time. I think, I don't know if it's a proverb or if it's a curse or whatever, but there, you know, somewhere along the line, somebody said, may you live in interesting times. And they, and they, and they weren't telling it to their friend because it was awesome, right? I mean, living in interesting times means something big is going down. <laughs> that, that doesn't always mean that it's a good thing. But I think we're in interesting times right now for B2B, particularly in the tech space. Because when you look at, I, I forget, it's like MarTech industry, MarTech leader or something. Like, they, they publish that chart of all the MarTech vendors. And they do it every year. And people were freaking out when it was 4,000. I think it's like 8,500 now. So there are like 8,500 companies who think they have a better way of doing something in the MarTech space in B2B. Not all of those are, you know, I would probably, maybe there's five of them that are revolutionary. There's probably a small subset that are truly evolutionary. And then everybody else is just like, it's a small variation on, on something that may be a little bit easier to use. Those are the companies that I think are going to, I mean, there's a lot of those companies that are in there right now that are stuck on this. We're going to grow by adding account execs and we're going to use this old model. And I don't think they're necessarily going to be fewer companies, but there is definitely going to be a separation between those organizations that are willing to think about and consider new models versus those that 
don't. And there's enough things happening simultaneously that it's going to be hard to figure out exactly who's winning and why. AI and machine learning, for example, can can be a, an incredible accelerant. If you think of a better way to do your go-to-market, you know, again, humbly, maybe the idea that I shared at the beginning could be a way to do something like that. That is going to help you accelerate. But I did read something somewhere lately that you know we need to collectively we need to start thinking about bigger problems and is a slightly better way of doing event management that's something we really need <laughs> like, <laughs> I, like, I, I i don't know and if you apply ai and machine but it doesn't learning, feel like it right and yeah. and you know i think the opportunity is there with the tools and maybe some really smart people on some investment and maybe some ai and machine learning thrown in there as well to really start thinking about things a little bit differently and tackling some bigger problems. And that's what gives me hope. I've been in this game a long time. I still enjoy it. And I'm very anxious and eager to see what's what's coming. But I do still see that, again, standard distribution, there's a few people up front that are doing some really interesting stuff. There's a whole herd of people in the middle that are kind of doing something a little bit, maybe a little bit better, maybe a little bit worse. And then there's the laggards that will never get there. A long time ago, I, I hosted a podcast and I, it, was a, it was a question I gave people. Are you Kurt Cobain or are you John Bon Jovi? Right. John Bon Jovi sort of mastered his craft. Like he was huge at sort of that glam rock type thing. And, and he was really good at that. And Kurt Cobain, he reinvented something, right? Or he invented something very different. And so I'm really interested to see the Kurt Cobains out there from a company perspective, who are going to fundamentally change the landscape. And, you know, I'll invest hopefully in the right John Bon Jovi's along the way to, to help ease the retirement. But it is, it's, there's always something new. Like I, I tell my teams all the time, it's, it's worth coming in in the morning just to see what's going to happen. Love it. Ed, this was an awesome conversation. I just want to say thank you for coming on the podcast. And uh, I know your book has just came out. And if anyone's interested, what's the best way to get their hands on the, on, on the new book? Yeah, it'll be on Amazon, just like every other book on planet Earth. Uh, probably, the, <laughs> probably the easiest way to do it. You can get a print on demand version or you can get a ebook version. This is, this is what it looks like. It's backwards, but that's what it looks like if, if you care to to buy it i'd be grateful i do think there's some value in there and and hope people enjoy it fantastic fantastic so if, if you're interested holistic marketing check it out on amazon and thank you so much for coming on the podcast thank you very much for having me I had a great time today's episode of growth colony was produced by alexander hipwell and liza maywald it was edited by dave Samido with additional editing by liza maywald and music arrangement by alexander and liza Special thanks to Tina Wabe, we couldn't make the show without you. Growth Colony is hosted by Shaheen Hoda, Director of Growth at Xgrowth. If you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe and give us a rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Do you think you'd be a great guest or just keen for a chat? Send through an email at podcast at xgrowth.com.au. That's podcast at xgrowth.com.au. That's all for now. We'll catch you next week right here on Growth Colony.